I'm excited to uh, be sharing with you as we head into Thanksgiving week. And when I was asked to, to preach on the Sunday before Thanksgiving, I, I knew right away that I had to preach on giving thanks, right? I had to preach on gratitude. I mean, I'd be missing out on something if I didn't do that. But have you ever found it hard to be thankful? Have you ever been in a season of life where you just really just didn't feel grateful about much? As I was thinking about this, I was uh, reminded of a tradition we had growing up on Thanksgiving in my family. We would, uh, before eating, uh, my mom or dad would tell us, you know, everyone bow your heads and, and take the hand of the person sitting next to you. And we would take turns thinking of something that we were thankful for. We just had to think of one thing. We didn't actually say what it was. It's just when we thought of that thing, we squeezed the hand of the person sitting to our right. And I remember as a child, I was, I think all the time, my thing that I thought of of being thankful for was that Christmas was almost here. Um, But it occurred to me as I was just reflecting on this that as a teenager, I stopped participating. When I was sitting around that table and it, it, it became my turn, all I did was wait what I thought was an appropriate amount of time to think of something without actually thinking of something. Then I would squeeze my sister's hand just to move on and get it over with. And I don't know why I did. I don't know what, what, maybe I thought it was too childish for a thing to do anymore. I'm not sure. But it just reminded me again, sometimes we go through seasons of life where we can't or struggle to think of things to be thankful for, to be grateful for. Have you ever been in that situation? I, I found that there is a direct correlation between the closeness I have with God and the abundance of gratitude that I have in life. And, and to circle that around, I have found that um, when, I have, um, when I shift away from, I hate to say this because it's kind of a catchy, cheesy, rhymey phrase, but when I shift away of an attitude of gratitude, I find myself feeling spiritually dry and distant from God. And so what that suggests to me is that that gratitude is a vitally important part of a believer's life. One of the most impactful verses of Scripture and one of the most conflicting ones most often for me is 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Paul says this, he says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. He says, give thanks in all circumstances. Our life is to be a living thanks to God But sometimes that's hard. Sometimes that's really hard. It's hard to to find something to be thankful for. Sometimes it seems like anything that can go wrong has go wrong and will continue to go wrong. And, And those times of life, it's difficult to have gratitude. But even in those seasons of life, we can live in thanks to God. What it boils down to is that we always have a reason to be thankful. What is that reason? Well, there certainly isn't only one reason, but there is always at least one reason to be thankful. And I could point to all sorts of scripture, but one passage God has drawn my heart and mind to a lot lately is 1 John 3, 1 through 3. It says this, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. 
This passage is overwhelmingly powerful. It speaks of a, of a future which, uh, in which we fully become who God created us to be. And so we can live now in thanksgiving of that promised future. But it also speaks of the present reality that we are right now, in this very moment, God's children. If we have invited Christ into our hearts, we are children of God, the God of the universe, The Lord of all creation is our Father and calls us His child. I think it's honestly too big of a concept for us to fully comprehend, but the reality of this passage is that this changes what it means to be human. This changes what it means to be human. If we're God's children, it changes what it means to be human. And, and the reality is no Christ follower should ever utter the phrase, I'm only human. I dislike that phrase so much, and I dislike it particularly when Christians say, I'm only human. If we believe God's word to be true, then to be human as a Christ follower is to be God's child. How dare we say we're only human? We should say, I get to be human. That's what we should be saying. But what all this points to, I think, is that if we, if we embrace this reality, our existence as human beings becomes special. And so that means that every moment of every day, we have a reason to be thankful. And as I was really reflecting on this in the past few weeks, the Holy Spirit kept drawing me to this passage of Scripture. This passage of Scripture that we're going to camp in today, it's 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, 1 through 12. And it, it speaks of, of what it means to be God's children and how are we supposed to live as God's children. The words are going to be on screen. Before I read it, I want to invite us to bow our heads and close our eyes and go to God in prayer before the reading of His Word this morning. Let us pray. Almighty oh, God, we come to You with thanksgiving in our heart for this opportunity we've had to worship You and gather together. And Lord, we thank you so much for the truth of your word and for how easily we can, we can access it, God. We can literally open up your word anytime we want. And God, I pray that you would challenge us and test us and stretch us and shape us and transform us through the truth of your holy scriptures this morning. We pray in your name. Amen. Listen to the first Peter 2, 1 through 12, as you in your heart and your mind, you think about the reality that you are one of God's children. It says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him shall not be put to shame. So the honor is for you, believe, but those who do not believe, that stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. 
Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, as I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This passage describes in powerful detail who we are as God's children and how we're supposed to live as God's children. And if we embrace the identity that this passage defines for us and we live the life that this passage describes for us, then I think one of the blessings that comes from that will will be an increased gratitude in our life like never before, a heightened awareness of all the reasons we have to be thankful, the least not being the fact that we are God's children. Now, to be clear, Peter's original audience were uh, Jewish Christians, Jews who had, who had began to follow Christ and were scattered throughout the Roman Empire because of the persecution of the, of the early Christian movement. And so how do we know that this actually applies to us today? How do we know that what Peter describes is not just describing his original audience, but also describing us as Christ followers today? Well, in the beginning of of Peter's letter, he makes it clear that the message of this letter is meant for those who have a saving faith in Jesus Christ. Listen to what he writes in 1 Peter 1, 3-5. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now we know from the very words of Jesus Christ, and it's reiterated in the teachings of the Apostle Paul, that all who accept Jesus as Savior and Lord are born again to a living hope, like Peter describes here. And we know that we share in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, as Peter describes here. And by the mercies of God, all followers of Christ are awaiting an imperishable, undefiled inheritance upon Christ's return. We know that's for all of us. Paul even says in in Galatians 3.28, he says, There's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So to be clear, as we dig into this, we know that it is as true and relevant today in 2020-2022 as it has ever been. Peter's talking to us. He's describing those of us who have accepted Christ and become children of God. So what I want to do this morning is first explore just who this passage says we are as God's children and then follow it up with exploring what this passage says we're supposed to do now. How now shall we live as children of God? So let's dig into it. First, as God's children, we are a living stone In a spiritual house. Verse 5, that's how Peter describes us. He says, We are a living stone. And simply put, we are the church with Jesus Christ as the cornerstone in which the entire spiritual house rests. So, what that means for us today is that this gathering today is sacred and special. And it's made that way because of the work of Jesus Christ. And not just here on a Sunday, but wherever we go. 
Wherever we go, we are the church, a spiritual house of refuge for those seeking Jesus. I suspect that we can't fully grasp the reality that we are connected through Jesus Christ to every other believer on the planet. We are connected to every other believer on the planet. And at this present time, there are faith communities, spiritual houses gathering to worship the Lord in every single country of the world. And we're all connected as part of that spiritual house as living stones. But what matters most as children of God is that we are a living stone making up a spiritual house with Christ as the cornerstone that makes us part of a history-altering, eternity-shaping movement with Jesus. That makes being human pretty special, I think. Next, Peter describes us as a holy and royal priesthood. Verse 5, he describes God's children as a holy priesthood. And then verse 9, he says we are a royal priesthood. This is so profound and so significant that we're going to spend the majority of our time on this one thing, this one identity of us as God's children being a holy and royal priesthood. We are holy because... Through the death of Jesus Christ, we are cleansed and consecrated by God. That's what makes us holy. Now, I want the significance of this to sink in as much as possible. To Peter's original audience, the language that Peter used, the phrasing he used, would have carried massive implications. When he used the phrasing holy and royal priesthood, their minds, being mostly Jews who had been brought up under the Jewish system of priesthood, would have known what he was talking about. Their minds would have gone to that reality of the system of the priesthood that existed in Israel and throughout Israelite history. i got to give a brief history lesson. Bear with me. God, through Moses, okay, established the temple and the priesthood. As the Israelites are wandering through the wilderness on their way to the promised land, God gave instruction to build a tabernacle, which was a mobile temple in which God would literally dwell among his people. And then he created the priesthood, and and it was Moses' brother Aaron who was the first high priest, and it was Aaron's sons who became the priests, and it was their role to ensure the proper care of the temple and the proper worship among the Israelites. And it would be the line of Aaron that generation after generation, the line of Aaron would serve as high priest and priests, up to and including when Peter wrote this letter. Now, in order for Aaron, the high priest, and the other priests to enter into the holy places within the tabernacle in which God dwelled, they had to go through a ritual of consecration. A ritual of consecration. This ritual of consecration took place over a period of seven days. And from my examination of Exodus 28 through 29 and Leviticus 8 through 10, I did this so you don't have to. There are at least 50 steps that the high priests and priests would have had to have taken before entering into the tabernacle. I was generous and clumped a bunch of steps together that kind of formed one thing, but there was probably more like a hundred or so steps that had to be taken over a period of multiple days in order for Aaron and his sons to enter into the God's presence within the tabernacle. 
This ritual involved wearing of special garments, anointing with various oil and blood mixtures, the placing of animal blood on certain parts of their bodies and certain parts of the altar, the baking of various unleavened breads, the sacrifice and proper butchering of various animals in which some parts had to be cleaned, some parts were burned on the altar of the tabernacle, some parts had to be burned outside the camp because they were considered unclean, some parts had to be eaten, and some parts had to be sacrificed at certain times of the day. It was a very intricate drawn-out process, very intentional. Why? Here's the key thing. God and sin cannot exist in the same place. God is so holy that he consumes sin on the spot. So in order for a, a, a person like Aaron, the high priest, or a priest to enter into God's presence, they had to be consecrated first so that they could be in that presence and not be consumed. And this went on for hundreds of years that only the priesthood could enter into God's presence only after going through a cleansing ritual. Why does any of this matter? Well, Peter here, in talking about who we are as God's children, he makes a bold declaration. He says that we are now a holy priesthood. We're a holy priesthood in the same line and category as Aaron and his sons and all the generations that followed. But clearly something has changed. Have you ever gone through a ritual of consecration? No, you haven't. And praise God, we don't have to do all that stuff. But what, what does that mean? We didn't have to go through that, so how is that even possible then? Jesus changes everything. Jesus has changed everything. Jesus declared in Matthew 5, 17 that he has come to not abolish the law, but fulfill it. And part of the law was this whole ritual of consecration and the whole priesthood system. And Jesus says, I have come to fulfill that. He has fulfilled it, and we get to experience the blessings of that fulfillment. Instead of 50-plus steps over multiple days, all we have to do to enter into God's presence is simply accept Jesus as Savior and Lord of our life. It's one thing that we can do at any time, and we become a holy priesthood. Now, there's, there's more to it than that, though. Because of Christ, we are made into this holy priesthood, and because of Christ, we can be in God's presence all the time, wherever we are. How is this possible? How is this even possible? Well, upon Jesus' death in the temple in Jerusalem, there was this this veil, this curtain that divided what was called the holiest of holies. It was the place where God always dwelled from everyone else. And only the high priest could enter beyond that veil. And he could only do it on certain times of the year after going through this ritual of consecration. Well, on Jesus' death, that veil was torn from one end to the other. What separated God was removed because of Jesus Christ. It was removed because of Jesus Christ. And this becomes even more significant. It becomes even more significant when we consider what Paul declares in 1 Corinthians 9 or 6.19. Paul says that those who are in Christ are what? We are temples of the Holy Spirit. So what does that mean? It means as God's children, our humanity is uplifted so much that we become the priesthood and the temple all in one. That's amazing to me. I'm a holy priesthood and the temple of God. So what does that mean? Everywhere I go, God is with me. I am in God's presence all the time, and all I've had to do was say yes to Jesus. That gives us reason to be thankful all the time. Now, if that wasn't enough, 
Peter says, not only are you a holy priesthood, made holy by Jesus Christ, without having to go through all that other ritual stuff that used to happen, but he says you are also a royal priesthood. Do you feel royal? (laughs) You're royalty. We're royalty. Because we are the children of the king of kings, created in God's image, we bear the divine royalty of God. Only one time in the history of Israel did a king try to be priest. You can read the account of King Uzziah in, in or 2 Chronicles 26, 16-21. He tried to enter the temple as king. It did not go well for him. It did not go well for him. But because of Jesus Christ, we are now a royal priesthood sharing in God's divine royalty. We are royal and holy. Royal and holy. And we get to be in God's presence all the time. That's so amazing. Peter's not done describing who we are as God's children, though. He goes on to say, we are citizens of God's kingdom. We are citizens of God's kingdom. In verse 9 through 10, Peter describes God's children as a chosen race, a holy nation, a people for God's possession. In verse 11, he describes us as sojourners and exiles. Now, This was literally about his original audience who were scattered all throughout the the Roman Empire and driven away from their home in in Jerusalem. But it talks about us and the reality today that until Christ's return, God's new creation here on earth is not yet fully established. Our home is here, it's just not here yet. But in the meantime, in the meantime, while we wait for God's return or Christ's return, we are God's chosen race with a purpose. We are to be the catalyst for God's will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven and the catalyst for God's kingdom to be found here on earth as it is in heaven. As God's children, we're not going to be citizens of God's kingdom. We are citizens of God's kingdom. This is all so much to take in. It's really too much for a single sermon, but just try and let this sink in as much as possible. As human beings who have accepted Jesus as Savior and Lord, we are a spiritual house, a holy and royal priesthood, and a chosen race that makes up a holy nation that was bought by God with the price of His Son, Jesus' sacrifice. This changes what it means to be human. It changes what it means to be human and gives us a reason to always be thankful. Now, with all this in mind, with this greater understanding of what it means to be God's children, we have to ask the question, now what? What do we do with this? How now do we live? And Peter describes this for us in detail. He describes this for us. He says, as God's children, we are first to honor God with our attitudes and our actions. He opens up this passage of scripture by saying, put away all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. I would say all those things relate to how we interact with other people and how we treat others. Now, here's a really challenging question to ask yourself because I've been asking myself this question for a few weeks now. If Jesus were to listen in, and he can and he does, if he were to listen in on all my conversations, read all of my texts and emails, read all my social media posts, would he find any malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, or slander? Think about that for your own life. We're to put all that stuff away. We're to put it all away. Because we are called to to a a higher, different type of human living as God's children. 
Then in verse 11, he says to abstain from the passions of the flesh. I would say that these passions of the flesh relate to how we treat ourselves, our bodies. Here's another challenging question. Ask yourself this, am I treating my body like it is God's sacred, holy dwelling place? Am I treating my body like it's God's sacred, holy dwelling place? We had Friendsgiving at our house last night. The way I ate, I was not treating my body as God's holy temple. I had four different desserts on one plate. Peter calls us to change how we treat others and change how we treat ourselves because as God's children, we are a holy and royal priesthood, a spiritual house called to a different and better way of being human. Peter's next command informs us how to honor God with our attitudes and actions. He commands us to, as children of God, to be sustained by God's word. Peter says, like newborn infants, we are to long for pure spiritual milk. This is first and foremost the word of God. When I read that phrase, my mind goes to the fact that there is nothing more uh, peaceful in life than a fully fed, uh, freshly burped and changed infant. You ever just held a baby that's just so content, they just look on their face, they just radiate peace and comfort. That's what comes to mind. It would be cruel and fatal to starve an infant. Well, it's cruel and fatal to starve our souls of God's word. Peter says we need this as, as infants need spiritual milk. Then Peter says that we are to grow up into our salvation. I remember all the food phases that our kids went through as they were growing up. From breastfeeding to bottle feeding to spoon feeding, I remember the accomplishment it was when they could start grabbing food and putting it in their mouth. We never left the house without Cheerios after that moment. And then I remember when they got old enough that they could start eating the food that we were preparing for ourselves that made dinner a lot easier. And then they become teenagers and they eat like six times a day like hobbits. But what happens is we grow up and our appetites expand and grow and our palates uh, mature and, and we want more and more and more and more. And this is what Peter is saying as our souls grow, as we grow into our salvation our appetites increase and our palates expand and we need more and more and more of God's word. But here's what often happens. Here's what often happens. As we grow into our salvation, it can be easy because of circumstances of life or busy schedules or whatever it is to take God's word for granted. Instead of keeping up, up here on our priorities, we drop it down to here. And the reality is we need more and more of it, but we consume less and less of it, but Peter says, no, 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 you're God's children. Be sustained by God's word. It's gonna show you how you, can, how you can honor God with your attitudes and actions, and it's gonna equip you to do the next thing he calls us to do as, his, as God's children, and that's to offer acceptable spiritual sacrifices. The priests in the Old Testament had to go through all sorts of things, and people had to bring all sorts of different sacrifices if they wanted to be uh, forgiven by God. Jesus came and changed everything as the ultimate sacrifice. He took on sins of the world once and for all. So the sacrifices we offer to God now his, as his children and part of his holy and royal priesthood are different. What are they? Well, I think they include our bodies as living sacrifices. 
They include our, our praises to God. They include our good works, our use of, our, of, of the talents God has given us. They include our money and possessions that we give to others to bless them. At Crosswinds, we use a very catchy phrase. It's give God your time, talent, treasure, and testimony. These are acceptable spiritual sacrifices. As soon as service is over, go talk to Aaron and Info Central, start serving in kids. That is an acceptable spiritual sacrifice to God. Offering acceptable spiritual sacrifices as changed human beings who are sustained by God's word allows us to effectively accomplish the next thing Peter calls us to as God's children. He calls us to proclaim God's excellencies to the world. Peter declares that we are a holy and royal priesthood, a chosen race, so that we can proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness. And he says to to keep our conduct honorable among non-believers. I love the song we sang earlier. It's called Gratitude. It's one of my favorite worship songs. Those two all the time. But I think the words get a little bit wrong when they say, all we have to give is our praise. There's, it's not much, but it's all I have to give. Well, if you read this, this is a big deal, being able to proclaim the excellencies of God. It's a huge deal. And it becomes even bigger when we don't just do it in our cars when we're by ourselves, or we don't just do it here on Sundays, but we actually do it out in the world. We're intentional about proclaiming God's excellencies. Why? We bear the responsibility and privilege of pointing people towards the glory of God with our attitudes, words, and actions so that more and more people can accept Christ and become God's children and experience what it means to be human. We'll close with this. I challenge you to try and embrace what it means to be a child of God, to be the human beings that God created us to be and live out that reality. Doing so will empower us to live in gratitude to God, will literally be a living thanks to God as we go through life. And it'll... It'll make us immune to the circumstances and the trials of life that can rob us of gratitude because if we're aware of who we are as human beings, as God's children, it changes everything. And there is nothing in this world that even comes close to the life that we have as followers of Jesus Christ. So the first step anybody can take is to accept Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. If you haven't done that today, you just say yes to Jesus. Invite him in. You'll become a child of God. And all these things that Peter described will begin to be true in your life. Will begin to be true in your life. For those who have already accepted Christ, I challenge you to consider gratitude to be a spiritual discipline. Something you got to practice at. Think of it like working out a muscle. The more you do it, the stronger it gets, the easier it becomes. Gratitude is a spiritual discipline. We can do this in our prayers to God and our praises of God, how we interact with others. And if we ever find ourselves not sure what to be thankful for, let's remember that we're not only human. We are humans who are God's children. And it's an amazing, amazing truth. Let's pray. Lord God Almighty, we thank you so much for all that you've done for us. You literally, Lord, brought heaven and earth together. You altered the course of human history for all eternity so that you, God, 
could dwell among us. And through your son, Jesus Christ, we are your children. Bought with a price and we're now citizens of the kingdom of heaven, a holy and royal priesthood, God. That is so much, Lord. By the power of your indwelling Holy Spirit, help us to grasp what that means and to live that out and be appreciative of it and full of gratitude for that. May it change the way we see ourselves, Lord. May it change the way we see others. And God, I lift up to you anyone who's here watching online who might watch this this week, God, who have not accepted you. I pray that in this moment, God, they would decide to make the most important decision of their eternity, Lord, and say yes to your son, Jesus Christ, as their Savior, Lord. May they invite you in. We love you, Lord. We give you praise, and we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.